For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. Hi and welcome to The Rock Podcast. One of the most popular verses to memorize is the subject of today's teaching. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. This is the heartbeat of the gospel, the truth that sets our hearts free. Now let's join Pastor Ross with the message entitled, God's Gift of Grace. Well, with Christmas uh, two days ago, I'm sure your recycle bins are full and overflowing with various wrapping paper and boxes, amen? And we are enjoying all the new gifts. I was checking out some stats on gift giving. The average uh, person receives about a dozen gifts at Christmas time, the average American. I suppose that depends on how large your family is, right? And whether you've been naughty or nice. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> and the top categories in order uh, of popularity as far as getting a gift, um, number one was clothing, number two, electronics, number three, books. People get books. Well, we'll see, we'll see. Uh, number four, money or gift cards. Uh, five, games and toys. Six, cosmetics and fragrances. And then number seven at the bottom, jewelry. Wow. Yeah, and then miscellaneous items from there. Uh, let's test them out and see how accurate, all right? How many of you opened something to wear? It was clothing. Yeah, so far so good. How about electronics? It had wires and buttons and what have you. Computer. All right, that's kind of keeping up with the survey. How about books? All right, nice. How many got a Bible? Nice, nice, that's good. All right, money. How many got the easy gift? Very good. Games and toys? <laughs> I see a lot of adult hands. What's up with that? All right. Cosmetics and fragrances. Yes. Jewelry. Well, you know, I think the survey was right. Okay. Um, but I'm sure by the look on your face, a lot of smiles here. Everybody's excited. Um, quite happy and pleased with all of the gifts that exchanged hands uh, over the weekend. And, you know, sometimes the most memorable gifts are um, a wow because they are expensive or dramatic. You know, they were uh, one time out of reach, but now you have unwrapped it and there it is, uh, a gift that uh, really uh, makes you excited to have, but oftentimes uh, the wow of a gift has nothing to do with the price tag. Uh, you know, when the kids are little, you know, they get creative, right? And those are precious memories. They compose a poem of how much they love you, or they paint a picture and it, of you, you know, and it doesn't matter uh, what it looks like. It's beautiful. So what, it's a little larger than you had hoped, or, or maybe... <laughs> Uh, less hair than you thought you had, um, but 
Uh, it's beautiful nonetheless. Or those coupons, you know? I'll clean my room for a year, you know? Or my favorite was the neck massage for an hour. It turned into 10 minutes, but you know, it was a good deal, you know? Very sweet days, the, the gift from the heart. That's a big impact. And what about those gifts that are invisible? You know, you can't wrap the gift that's intangible, but so meaningful. The gift of friendship, the gift of kindness, the gift of encouragement. Instead of holding a grudge against somebody who was foolish and stupid and uh, did something shameful and hurtful, you give them the gift of mercy. You choose to forgive and to forget, even though you didn't have to. What's the price tag on that gift? How many of you would like to find a coupon for that in your stocking? You know, let you off the hook, pass, 2016. How many want to get that one? Right. How many want it to be extended into 2017? <laughs> How many of you want to give that coupon? Oh, yeah. Oh, it depends who we're talking about. All right, so, you know, of course, God is the best gift giver of all. You know, the art of gift giving starts with him. I like James. I love this paraphrase. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father who hung all the stars in the night sky and who never changes his mind about how much he loves you. That's a beautiful thought about our loving Father. It's a He's a gift giver, and he's the gift uh, himself. And we're going to talk about that uh, this morning. You know what God does? He, he combines everything that makes a gift a wow in himself and in the grace that he gives to you and to me. Uh, for example, I mean, it's expensive, his gift. Wow. Uh, dramatic, dramatic, what a price tag. Invaluable gift. Profound, heartfelt, compassionate thoughtful, loving, and it turns out that the greatest need that you and I have resulted in the greatest gift that was ever given. Now, how do you explain the gift that God gives? I like how the Apostle Paul put it. He said, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. That word, uh, King James has it, unspeakable. It, it means, you know, there are no words. Words fall short. You can't to understand or fully express the idea of the gift that God gives to us. Well, since we're finite and we have to work with words, uh, the word that the Bible uses best to sum up God's precious gift is the word grace. And that appeared in our passage last week. Let me remind you of that. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Now, we looked at that as a part of 1 through 10, the verses last week. But this week, this well-known, well-loved verse, uh, how many of you committed that verse to memory. It's the, one of the most popular verses uh, in the Bible 
uh, for memorization, especially for new believers. And, you know, if you get something right at the start, you know you're going to end well. But it's when you don't get it right from the start that the trajectory of your life can just go askew. And uh, so it's important to understand this gift that God gives us uh, called grace. And, you know, normally we march on, we do verses 11 to the end of the chapter, but there's so much here left uh, to talk about. And so we're going to do that uh, this morning, the weekend of Christmas, and, and think about this thing called grace and the gift that God gives us. You know, it says in the text that it's, Your salvation is not your work. You didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it, right? Well, and I started thinking, well, somebody had to do the work. And of course, that's what we're talking about. The grace that saves us is the work of God. So this morning, I want to talk about the work of God, what it is, and just kind of let that encourage our hearts. You know, there's a finished work. It's a saving work. And it's a gracious work. And so first, you know, a little prelude. It's not much of the crux of the message, but I'm mentioning that it's a finished work. Uh, Take a look at it. It's nice and concise uh, definition here. The byproduct of grace is is that we have been saved, and it is called a gift. But it may be free to us, but somebody had to pay a price for that gift. There's always somebody who paid for something that's offered for free, and that would be his work, his doing. And of course, that makes sense. Jesus said uh, his life work was to seek and save the lost, right? The angel told uh, Joseph in Matthew chapter 1, name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sin. So right away, we know that the gift of God is about that word saving, and it's his work. But notice the tense of the verb. It's a finished work, isn't it? He says, for it is by grace that you have been saved. Now, he doesn't say that you are being saved or that you shall one day be saved, but oftentimes in the New Testament, when he talks about salvation, it's in the already done mode, as it is here. Now, if you're interested in things like this in the Greek, it's called the perfect participle, that verb. And, and here's literally what it's saying. Well, one commentator, scholar, explains it this way. Putting the verb in the perfect participle emphasizes God's abiding consequences of God's saving action in the past. So in other words, it's saying this. You are people who have been saved and remain forever saved. You see, this is the heart of God the Father, that none of his children ever have to have a fear or anxiety about keeping and sustaining a work that had nothing to do with them. It's not of you. It is a gift. So why should you be afraid of losing something and, and, and thinking to yourself that God is not able to keep that which he gave you? He gave you something that in the past tense has present and future significance. That's what the verb says. You have been saved. And, and to quote what verses 1 through 8 were saying last week, is that this was something that was done before the foundation of the world. 
Yeah, so how can you be worried about losing something that you didn't earn or qualify for that was given you already in the past and it's already in the future? How did he describe it? He said, you died, you were joined together in Christ, and when he rose from the dead, you were with him, and when he was exalted into heaven, you were with him, and when he was seated on his throne as God the Son, you are seated as well. But only he said it better. He said, you were seated. And so that's it. You know, as a dad, three little kids growing up, nothing was more upsetting than not being able to console a child who was fearful at night. You know, when kids lay in there saying, Dad, I'm afraid of something so unreasonable. It's like, Dad is here, man. You know, one of them had a fear of raccoons, you know? So... <laughs> So it's like, dude, the, dude, you can't get a raccoon through that door. Look at how, you know, if the door shut, no raccoon could get on. But daddy, what if the raccoon already here? <laughs> you know, well, let's look under the bed. Well, the deal is what hurts a father's heart is, is that there's no need for that child to lay there with an irrational fear because that's my job to protect him or her. And so I don't want to give the father a little angst that I can't just relax in his promise that the deal that saves my soul has been accomplished in eternity past and there's nothing anybody could do about it. Not even me, because I didn't earn it. It was given by God a long time before I was even here to mess things up. So, you know, praise the Lord. It's a finished Work And secondly, it's a saving work. Uh, the word there for you have been saved, for saved, is the word sozo in the Greek. And uh, it implies imminent danger, but not just any danger, real serious danger. For example, Matthew chapter 8. The disciples are on a boat. Gale force winds. The boat's going down. And they say, well, his disciples come to him. They awake him, saying, Lord, sozo, we perish. So you get the feeling there. In Mark chapter 5, a ruler of a synagogue, his name's Jairus, he throws himself before Jesus. And he says, my little girl is dying. I beg you to come, lay your hands on her, and sozo, so that she might live. Matthew chapter 5, a woman hemorrhaging to death touched the hem of Jesus' robe and she experienced his power in her body and Jesus smiles and says, daughter, your faith has sozo you. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. Okay, so then we know, okay, this is a word that means, wow, there was lethal imminent, terrifying, miserable danger from which there's no recovery. That's the word used. And it must be worse than languishing on a deathbed or drowning in the ocean because Christians do die and Christians do die of accidents. So we're not talking about that level of saving it is infinitely worse than all three of those examples. The sozo of the human eternal soul. And that was described in verses one through eight, 
when he said you were dead in your sins. You were still born spiritually. When you were born physically, you're missing the connection to God and life. And that has to happen in this life. The light needs to be relit. We call that being born again. But he said, previously to that, you were disconnected from life. You were under the spell of the evil one. Slaves to your own passions and following the lusts and desires of this world. So as a result, you weren't objects of God's love. You were by nature objects of his wrath. In other words, the wages of sin is death. And that one day you'd stand before him and you'd have to pay for those sins. But he sozoed you from all of that. He saves us. Now, you know, think about it. It's, it's a great salvation for sure, you know. Uh, ultimately, being an object of God's wrath leads to a place that nobody wants to talk about, uh, rightly so. Uh, no one can comprehend, but everybody knows by instinct it's there in every culture. From time immemorial, there is a depiction of what I call the bad heaven. And the reason I call it the bad heaven is when Jordan, our firstborn girl, was three years old. We're talking about heaven, going to heaven, reading a Bible story at night. And she said, Dad, what about the bad heaven? Where's the bad heaven? Where did they go? Three years old? She doesn't even know the word. She's calling it the bad heaven. Why? Because into the very fabric of human consciousness, God knits the great truths of the universe. We know, we know there's a God. We know we didn't get here by ourselves. We know there's a heaven. We know there's a hell. We know there's an evil one. We know these things, generally speaking. We deny them so often that sometimes we forget we know them, but we know them nonetheless. And so Jesus talked about the bad heaven 46 times. That's a lot of times to talk about a place, you know? And you know, I'm just going to sum it up in one phrase. He called it an eternal smoldering garbage dump. That's what Gehenna means. It's the garbage dump. That's what he nicknamed it. So it's a place that doesn't seem very pleasant. Now, moving on. uh, It was never made for man. It was made for the devil and his angels and for anyone who will reject the way out of that by God's grace and gift that's freely bestowed and available to everybody. If you reject that and follow the devil and his demons, well, then you go where they go. You follow their lead and so their rebellion. Uh, One writer put it this way, and that's called the second death, by the way. Revelation chapter 20 calls to perish a set the second death. But for it is by grace you have been saved. One writer put it this way. To never speak or think of the horrific realities of hell and the wrath of God from which believers are spared is to do your soul a disservice You diminish the joy that grace and salvation bring to the human heart. 
by considering the hopeless, helpless, fearful condition from which you've been saved. That is the very thing that puts good in the term good news, you see. I mean, think about it. If you consider where you could have gone quite easily, where you should have gone, where you deserve to go, where I deserve to go, there was already a name tag right there on, on the place where we belonged because of our sins. But because of God's great mercy and grace, we have been spared of that. I mean, if you consider the depth and the intensity and the drama of what we that grazed our, our foreheads. I mean, narrow, narrow is the way that leads to life. And few, few there be that find it. Broad is the way that leads to destruction and many go in by odds. It could have been us. There was a guy distracted in San Diego on Christmas. He was looking at his phone. He walked off a cliff and died. We were all distracted in life. It could have been us who did it just walk off a cliff here in San Diego. But the cliff, the precipice of eternity. But for some reason, in love, God predestined and chosen and selected you to have his grace and be saved from that. So which, which lights your heart up with joy? To, to think that perhaps you escaped having a bad cold or getting incurable cancer. He didn't save you from getting the flu, you know? How about that, you know, would you rather, you know... Get fired from your job or stand in front of a firing squad. He saved you from the latter, the graver danger. I mean, it should do something to us. That's why you can't take that part out of the gospel because without what he saved us from, nothing else makes sense, you know. So do you realize where you could have ended up? You could have walked off that cliff. Come on. You, you still want to walk off the cliff. Even now you have to tell yourself, don't go there. Stop. No. Right? So, so not only are you saved and still want to wander off the cliff, you, when you weren't saved, you had no guardrails. You could have so easily gone over. But God says, not that one. He sozoed you for no apparent reason. It's in him, not in you. It has nothing to do with you. It's grace by faith. And we're going to talk about that by faith part coming up. I don't think we or the world get what God's trying to do when he sozoes the world. I mean, years ago, there was a news report of a stolen car in California. Police launched an intense search for the vehicle and the driver, they really wanted to get a hold of the driver, and it became a big deal. There were all kinds of uh, ads on the radio and television. Uh, it, was, it was quite dramatic, and here's the reason why. On the front seat, the passenger side, there was a box of crackers that smelled real sweet, but the problem was they were laced with rat poison. 
the guy was going to take that home. He had a problem at home in the barn or whatever, and he was going to lay that out. But the car got stolen, and the box was there, and it smelled sweet. It looked just exactly like it wasn't labeled or anything. And so there was a search because the owner and the police are now more interested in apprehending the thief to save his life than to recover the car. Who cares about a Volkswagen bug when this guy's life is in jeopardy? And so often we run from God. We feel it's to escape punishment, but actually we're eluding his loving rescue. It's a saving work. He took out his wrath on God the Son. It's not about the broken commandments or the sin or the theft or the lust. Not about any of that. It's about getting the antidote to the poison. And what happened was that in love, God's son, God the son, drank and ate that poison and ingested it. And it killed him. But it couldn't keep him dead because he's God the son. And now he has the antibodies to that poison. And he says, whosoever will come and take and eat and taste and see that the Lord is good. And so it's a finished work, never a cause for fear or anxiety. He raised you, he exalted you, he seated you. It's a done deal. It's a saving work. The power of death and sin and the power of the evil one broken. And here now, finally, it's a gracious work. It's a gift, the Bible says. Look at that twice repeated. It's by grace you've been saved. It's by grace, not from you, not by your work, not because of anything you did. It's God's gift. Now, it's a gift. You think about a gift. You don't earn a gift. Um, Nothing that you opened out from under that tree was earned, right? How terrible it would be to open up a little box from on Christmas morning and see the tag, the price tag, along with an Excel spreadsheet of your hours, okay? The cost of the gift and your wages right there, and it's Merry Christmas, a gift from my heart to you, right? How sick and wrong would that be? Amen. All right. <laughs> now, it's the same thing that comes to us off another tree, right? The nickname of the cross is the tree, and that gives us eternal life, you know? And, and so the gift of God can't be earned. It was earned for us and freely given. We kind of get it in our heads, but then, you know, it doesn't stay there very long. It's a gift, 100%, free will, gracious, act of love. You've been sozoed. You've been saved. It's a gift of God. You can't earn it. You can't say it enough. There are two great passages. I'm just going to beef up this one with what precedes it and then give you the text, companion text from Titus. But because of his great love for us, God, who's rich in mercy, not giving you what you deserve, made us alive with Christ, even though... (laughs) Well, we were dead in sins. It's by grace getting what you don't deserve. You have been saved. 
And then he repeats it again. Why? Because he knows it's a, it just doesn't compute. What do you mean you're just going to do everything, give me the whole wide world for nothing? Worse than nothing, for being a little criminal, running around hating God and doing the wrong thing. That's why he's going to give it to me? Well, that's the definition of grace and mercy. For it, has been, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not from yourselves. It's the gift. It's a gift. And then in Titus, Paul says, okay, but when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, hello, Savior means you can't save yourself. You have to have someone save you. Savior appeared. He saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. Mercy, not getting what you do deserve. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. That means born again. When someone trusts or has faith, open up your heart and he does the saving. He transforms us and gives us new life through the power of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out generously. There it is again. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified, the word means, I was taught in seminary, justified means just as if I've never sinned. Easy way to remember that. By his grace, now not getting what you do deserve, grace is getting what you don't deserve. We might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. God takes a, a kind of a spiritual hammer to all of us, the whole New Testament is about that. Just saying, it's not about good or bad. It's not about your effort. It's not about how you grew up or didn't grow up. It's about my mercy and my goodness. Why does salvation come and must come as a gift? Because we can't save ourselves. That's an easy answer. Uh, the three illustrations from the gospel, the drowning men. So, so, we perish. Why? Because we can't save ourselves. We're going down in this boat. The dying girl. So, so, let her live. Why? Because she's dying. In a few minutes, it's going to be all over. The hemorrhaging woman. She needs salvation because she can't stop the, the bleeding on her own. That's the thing. And the world is like, well, God helps those who helps them help themselves. That's so false from anything the Bible teaches. God helps those who cannot help themselves. And that's the offense that causes the world to stumble. Picture it this way. The destination, paradise, this time, not heaven. Let's, let's make it easier. Maui. <laughs> and here's how you get there. The standard is... You have to swim. All right, well, you're going to have various outcomes, various efforts, and different di distances. The Olympic competitor can go, I'm guessing, 24 hours. Uh, the high school swim team, I'm guessing, six hours. Uh, the average Joe, one hour. Uh, people who can't swim, 30 seconds. <laughs> Here's the point. They all drown. None of them make it. Not the Olympian, not the high school star, not the average Joe. 
not the guy who didn't even bother coming down to the beach because he was out getting drunk, stealing Christmas packages off of people's porches on Christmas Eve. But guess what? Whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That's the grace of God. It had nothing to do with your swimming, your discipline, all your trophies, and all your blue ribbons. Look at me. It didn't matter. Everybody's in the same boat, and it's sunk. Jesus' grace says, I am the swimmer. Get me on board on the lifeboat. <laughs> when you're in me, you're so so. You're safe. Why? Because you can't do it. You can't do it. That's what he says to us. So it's clear. It's his work. We get it. It's not ours. It's compassion tore his heart, prompted him in love to send his son. That love prompted Jesus to lay down his life, to endure the rugged cross, the mercy that overlooked our bad behavior, and the grace that motivated this, this unbelievable gift. Everything for nothing. Just trust me. Wow. First John chapter 4, verse 10. What does it say? You want to talk about love? He says, let me tell you about love. It's not that we love God, but it's that God first loved us and sent his son to be a covering sacrifice for our sins. It always starts with God pursuing us and loving us and then saying, whosoever will, that's it. The wages of sin is death. Everybody's got to die. But the gift of God is eternal life. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, whosoever will. What does that mean? The good swimmers, the bad swimmers, the ones who got the memo and tore it up and went out and partied instead, the nasty people, the ones who on Christmas go to a church parking lot like ours and steal the church's trailer that's filled with lots of expensive things. On Christmas, guess what? Whosoever, the nice law-abiding citizen or the thugs who came on Christmas to a church, seriously, to a church parking lot and rip off a well-secured, locked, very nicely, <laughs> where there's a will, there's a way, church trailer with the logo of a dove on it. How sad is that? You may meet them in heaven. Because first service, I prayed a prayer over them, and everybody agreed. God bless them today. The conviction. And let the Holy Spirit woo, woo them. The hands. The hands that broke the locks. The heart filled with covetousness and greed. The mind that is lawless, the conscience that is numbed and seared, make him alive as a trophy of your grace. In Jesus' name, amen? amen. Right. And you're going to meet him. And you're going to say, you're not going to say that there. Unfair. Unfair. The law-abiding citizen, the good swimmer, the swimmer who practiced all his life with all his trophies. 
He swam 24 hours. This dude was off ripping off a church. And they can get the same exact thing by simply trusting. Because it's not about works. It's about mercy. And it's not about efforts. It's about grace. And it's not about willpower. It's about God's love. And all it is about is trusting that he did the work and the gifts available. And whatever hands open it, obtain the gift. You can call that unfair. God calls that grace. (laughs) That's how it is. And we're good. We're good when the grace comes this way. (laughs) We just have the problem when we have to extend it. Right? Well, he extends it to all. He's not like us. And so, speaking of faith, the one thing that we have to do is believe. Now, let's talk about that because there's only one prerequisite to gaining the whole world and not losing your soul, and that is this word, pistos, in the Greek. It's a little bit different than our word believe. Our word believe, you could say, you know, for example, as many do, I believe in God. What they mean is, I believe there is a God, right? It doesn't mean I have experienced God and yielded my life to him and and I have a personal relationship with him. You know, let me give you an example of that. I worked at that vocational college in the East Bay. Eight years of so much fun, just spreading the gospel and not getting fired. It was beautiful. (laughs) And I was, I was able to turn a lot of those classes into little uh, Bible studies. Uh, it was a lot of fun. But they got their work done, but they also get to hear the gospel. And so one of my English classes, I said, hey, I want to see how you all write and what we're up against. So, you know, write an essay, five-paragraph basic essay, uh, the three most important things about you. I want to know them. If it matters to you, you need to write that down, okay? And so they did. I kept that. I graded I went over with, but I kept them, right? And so later in the course, we do business ethics because it's a business college, right? And in the text, religious uh, thinking comes up, religions and spirituality and, and the mention of God. And so I used that. I said, you know, hey, we're talking about this. How many of you, just, just curious, how many of you believe in God? Believe in God. All those thugs raised their hands. All right. <laughs> That's over in the East Bay, all right? So, yeah, a lot. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm just going to stop while I'm ahead. So, I said, so seriously, really? Let me go through some of your papers, because keep your hand up. All right, so it was like 75, 80% of the class. Whoa, yeah, we believe we're born in America, whatever. So I go through the paper, I go, one, two, three, no, God, one, two, three, Christian, Jesus, God, nope, Christian, God, Jesus, church, nope, Christian, Jesus, God, church, nope, Christian, Jesus, God, Bible, Jesus, God, nope, God, prayer, Jesus, you get the point? (laughs) All right, no, no. No, 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 no. Hey, I'm a Christian. Okay, one over here. No, no, no. I did this a lot. No, no, no. The 25 kids in each class. 
23 no's. Two. That's my average in eight years. Two. Three. One. Zero. Sometimes. Never more than three. But everybody thinks, I believe. You, you're not going to be saved if that's the kind of faith you have. That's an intellectual assent. Well, if you believe, why isn't he in the paper? He's not important enough to make the top three? Come on. You think there's a God that can save no one. The devil believes in God. He believes there's a God. It's not going to go well for him. And so whatever that word is, it does not mean, yeah, he's there. It means, yeah, he's there, therefore I yielded my life. So in the Greek, pistos means to trust onto. So it doesn't work in English. It means to kind of fall back into, right? So there's some action. It's not just, I know the chair's there. I know the chair's there, therefore I'm falling onto the chair. That's what has to happen. I mean, there are presents probably wrapped with your name on it underneath the tree still, somewhere. And for whatever reason, and you have your list, you're not going to go over there. You're not going to pick it up, and you're not going to give the giver the joy of seeing you receive that gift because you have your reasons. And you would tell me, hey, you know, you don't understand. There's a lot of, but you know, it's complicated. All right, you've got, you've got your reasons why, even though there's a gift for you, you know it's there. You know it's there. It's got your name on it. It's your size. It was picked out just for you. It remains your present, yeah. And you believe it's there, yeah. But it doesn't become meaningful until you take it and let that faith transfer to action. And because I believe it, I open it up, I hold up the sweater, and I put it on. And I enjoy the gift. Now, now you biblically believe. You follow through. So do not go to your grave thinking, hey, for whosoever believes in God, hey, I believe in God. Well, if you do, there's something that happens in you that will incorporate him experientially into your life and you'll know for sure that way. So I had a professor, one of my seminaries, uh, he went up in front of a big board and he said, okay, class, what does it take to get saved? How do you get to heaven? Tell me how to do it. So one guy says, hey, you know, it's faith. Obviously, he writes faith on the board. Then another guy calls out, repentance. Oh, yeah, I got to repent, right? This is a repent, right? Then somebody else says, hey, uh, well, you got to call on the name of the Lord. You got to pray, right? I mean, how can you be saved without praying? So he writes prayer, right? And then somebody said, uh, well, good works that spring from your faith because faith without works is dead. So the poor got really full. Then he walks up and he takes a red marker. And he circles the word faith. And he says, gentlemen, the day you preach a gospel that adds one thing to this word faith is the day you dishonor your call before God, the day you misrepresent Christ and the gospel. Because it is by faith and faith alone, simple trusting 
Christ will save you eternally without one other thing. Now, well, there are a lot of, but, but hey, how about this? Well, let me give you a few of them. One, one guy was pretty convincing. He's all, oh, wait, wait, hold on, repentance. Uh, a lot of passages, passages just say, repent of your sins, and you'll be saved. Well, he says, repentance and faith are two faces of the same coin. When you call someone to repentance, you're calling them to have faith. And when someone has faith, they're changing their mind. The word repent means to change mind, just to, to do a U-turn, right? So you can say, hey, repent, it's a call to have faith. Because you can't repent without faith. And you can't have faith without changing your mind. So faith and repentance, you're seeing the same thing. Furthermore, he picked John, the book of John, 21 chapters in John. The whole point of John, John tells you at the end. He says, listen, the reason I've written this, these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah the Son of God, and that by believing, you might have life in his name. There's the believing in faith alone, right? But here's the deal. John's the book you give to new believers or to seekers to generate saving faith, right? There's not one mention of the word repent in 21 chapters of John. Not one word of repentance or repent. It's faith. That's faith alone. John chapter 6, people mobbing Jesus. They wanted more bread because he made the bread come down from heaven. And, and they said they got embarrassed. So they said, okay, really, we're, okay, forget about the bread. We've got a theological question for you. Uh, what must we do to do the work God requires? And Jesus looks at him and says, trust me. Trust the one he sent. No, we want a list of things we have to do to get to heaven and please God. Trust me. Whoa. And there's a period there. There's nothing left there because it's faith plus nothing equals you get everything just by trusting. That's a big deal. That's really a big deal. And that's the way it's always been, by the way. Old Testament too. Abraham believed God and God counted that to make him right with God. What did Noah do? Was Noah a good boy? <laughs> Noah was just as bad as those outside the boat. In some ways, he couldn't swim. He found favor. The word is grace. Because he trusted. He heard and took God's word and acted accordingly. That's faith. That's the only way you can get saved. Don't have to repent. You don't know have meaning. You, you, you don't have to do something. Well, I've got to clean up my life, or I, I can't go to church in this condition. Oh, yeah, you can. Because God takes you in your condition, and then He, by His power, takes care of you and it gives you the power. I just was at that Star Wars movie. I saw a guy I haven't seen in probably 10 years or more. 15 years ago at Calvary Petaluma, wandering around the sanctuary, and some guy sitting there on the front row said, hey, I've seen you a couple times. And his name's Jose Corrales. Some of you may know him. He still goes there. So I, I run into him, and he, he's recounting how we met. 
you know, and I said, hey, are you a Christian? He goes, no, my wife drags me here every Sunday. I said, what's your problem? He says, I kind of believe, you know, but I got a lot of baggage for the Catholic Church. And his words, I got a lot of baggage. And, you know, when I get rid of the baggage. And I said, have you ever thought that Jesus might want to give you a hand with those bags? <laughs> I said, listen, aren't they heavy? That's why the problem. You have a problem. You got bags and you can't lift them. And they're like, oh, well, Jesus called our helper. And he'll help you with the bags. Now what's your problem? And he goes, I don't have one. Then do you want to get Jesus in on the deal here? And he goes, yeah. So we prayed the sinner's prayer. This is 15 years ago. Out in front of the airport theaters, he's saying, and then I said, yeah, that was a long time ago. And he goes, yeah, Jesus came in and took care of my bags. (laughs) 15 years just walking with the Lord. Praise God. You don't wash a car before you take it to the car wash, <coughs> right? Ladies, you don't do your hair before you, well, yes, you do. <laughs> Never mind, I looked at some of you, like, don't go there. <laughs> God's grace, God's gift, God's love. You know what it does for me? It just says, Ross, it wasn't ever up to you. It isn't up to you now. And it shall never be up to you. Come to me and have rest and peace. And from that, check this out. Check this out. The verses at the end. The last verse. Look what he says. For it's by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourself. It's the gift of God. Not by your works so that no one can boast. For we're God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. <laughs> oh, we can't earn our way. But once he gives us the way freely, then as evidence that Christ has saved us, we do good. And that has nothing to do with salvation. It has to do with cooperating and responding to the mercy and grace we've already received that he takes credit for doing. You see? So it's not like, yeah, I believe. I don't go to do nothing. Yeah, uh-uh. No, 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 no. No. You trust. He comes in by the Holy Spirit, and then he prompts us to start living the new life. And the new life, we've got stuff to do. But none of it, none of it gets us to paradise. That's the free gift. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great love and this wonderful, indescribable gift, Lord, that we don't fully understand, but we've received, most of us here received it by trusting and let you do all the rest, Lord. Thank you for the peace and the joy that the gift of God's grace brings. We love you. We commit ourselves to your care. In Christ's name, amen. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvertherock.org.